Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And this idea that the Mets are going to rebuild and sort of take a year off is a bunch of nonsense. The Diamondbacks won 84 games this year. They got the game five of the World Series. The Marlins won 84 games this year and made the playoffs. The Mets with Lindor, Nimmo, Alonzo, Senga, I mean, they just made a good move with Severino. Uh, they are going to be out there, and they're going to be active, and they're going to be trying. No Met team off this past year is going to take a pass. With all the teams that make the playoffs, they'll be active. So how far do you think they should go in pursuing Yamamoto or Otani then? Well, I don't think they're getting Otani. Uh, I, 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 I don't think that will happen. Uh, I, you know, everybody still thinks Otani with the Dodgers. Uh, I think Yamamoto is definitely – they've had a lot of success with Senga. Yamamoto can see that. I can definitely see that happening. They need pitching. You know, their third, fourth, and fifth starters are not very good. They're going to have to keep their fingers crossed on Severino if he can recover. And I think that was a good buy, by the way. 13 million one year, take a chance. I have no problem with that. We all know Senga had a good year. The Mets are going to get some pitching. If you own the Mets and you're coming off an awful year and you saw the Marlins get to the postseason and Arizona get to Game 5 of the World Series, you'd be crazy not to be very aggressive. And Alonzo's going nowhere. He's going to be a Met for life. I don't buy the idea that he could be traded. That's a bunch of nonsense. He'll be, he'll be here for life. And I think the Mets will be active. They won't go crazy, but they'll get somebody, and then if they're in a pennant race in August, July, they'll do something else, too. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 3rd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can check me out X at Mike Silva Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, talkingmetsnog. And of course, you can check out the newsletter, substack.com slash at talking Mets no G and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com well the most wonderful time of the year is here um it may not be the heart of the baseball season and yes it is the holiday season but the winter meetings when we have minute by minute hour by hour updates it's that time of the year where look if you're like me going back two decades Admit it, you used to refresh Mets blog all the time, MLB trade rumors. You'd have, if you had satellite radio, you have your car tuned into MLB network radio to see, is there any update coming through, listening to some talk that's going on. Maybe you have the SNY hot stove, MLB network on, whatever, local papers, refreshing their websites. Back in the day, it used to be forums. There was the uh, MetsOnline.net forum. 
There was fan home. I'm really starting to date myself. You know, some of you listening in the audience are probably like, forums, what forums? But forums used to be a really good resource to find out rumors because those in the forum would go around and troll other towns' papers and websites and try to get some information. And Or they'd be listening to the radio because back then you didn't have, and boy, do I sound old now. I got to tell you, I sound like, you know, when we were young, you know, the people would say, back in the day, Sonny, or something like that. I sound like back in the day, Sonny, but back then you didn't have what you have on X where, you know, people could go out and post a audio of what was said on a talk show or a radio show of some sorts. And then, of course, there's the podcast and really Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. You know, I still can't figure that out. I know I say that every week. That's where you get the most instant up to the minute news from guys like Heyman and Rosenthal and Nightingale and whoever. I mean... Obviously, everybody has their preference and has their opinions on who's accurate, who's not. So, uh, a lot to talk about. So, how's this going to work? This is like one of the hardest times of the year to do a show. Because as I'm on the air, and I come to you about 4 o'clock here on this Sunday, so it's late Sunday afternoon. Maybe you're in the midst of the witching hour, they call it, in the football uh, week where you know the, the, the early games are ending, the, the late games are starting, and you could care less about what's going on with uh, with baseball. But I think, I suspect at least, that you do. Because no matter what kind of fan you are, and I wrote about this on the newsletter earlier today, whether you're a hardcore football fan, NBA, the weather outside is awful, it's miserable, and and usually this week with some of the temperatures, it's more like hockey weather than baseball weather. You're in New York, you care, because you care about your team, you want to know what's going on, you have hopes for a big move, it's it's fun when you hear about an acquisition, it's like almost like opening up a, a present on Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate out there. And sometimes you get some socks and underwear, which are very useful things. And sometimes you get a gift that, I don't want to say changes your life, but makes a bigger impact and is a lot of fun. On the Mets out there, I think there's going to be more socks and underwear, and there has been to date with some of the moves they made. Um, but I think that you know we have to look at this in, in, in the long run. And and the long game that, that David Stearns is playing. So what I'm going to be doing here is I'm just going to be doing a one-parter, a little bit of a State of the Union of the Winter Meetings, setting us up for what's going to be a fun 96 hours or so, starting today through Thursday. There is going to be this draft lottery that, unfortunately, the Mets are part of. Can they keep their top pick? You have the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee. Maybe a former Mets manager, David Johnson, will get elected. Might talk about that later in the week. We're going to have another show um, I don't know if it's going to be a reaction show or kind of recap of where we are at the meetings. I'm not going to do something nightly. I am going to be doing instant reactions on the newsletter. That's the point of the newsletter. There'll be obviously content for paid subscribers. There'll be content for everybody. We'll figure that out. I'm trying to be as fair as possible here. Those who contributed and paid are going to get the advantage. I mean, that's just the way it works. Then when I put that together, I promise that. But everybody, whether you're a paid subscriber or you're just into the podcast or just a free subscriber to the, the Talking Mets Beyond the Mic, are going to get something, and it's going to be good. And, and I think that that's going to be a ton of fun. So um, away we go here. So where are we? You know, here we are now. David Stearns is on the job for, you know, eight or nine weeks. And... We've talked about this already. I mean, you can't get anything out of this organization. I mean, no rumors. But the one rumor that did come out in the midst of total silence was about Luis Severino and the Mets. And that turned out to be true. And I reacted to that and talked about that over at the uh, Talking Mets Beyond the Mic. And I think, as I said, and I wrote about earlier in the day on the Sunday column, 
winning this week doesn't necessarily mean you win anything. It's not like the NBA in-season tournament now, that new thing that they do at the NBA where you get some money and a trophy. There's no ceremony for who won the winner. Uh, It's a great thing for the papers and for those who like to be pundits to say, this is the winner, this is the loser. They like to bestow some kind of crown on the GM that does the best. And let's face it, for uh, front offices, this is the time for them to shine. Throughout most of the calendar, majority of the calendar, it's about the players on the field. You're hopeless. I mean, not hopeless. You're helpless as a front office executive. Not hopeless. Helpless. You're helpless. You cannot impact anything other than putting together the best group of guys possible. You could use data. You could use projections. You could do whatever you want. But you are completely helpless. And it's a hopeless feeling. That's really where I think I got a little jumbled there. A hopeless feeling. Um, because it, you have no control. Now you have control. You are there in front of another GM. Maybe your owner's involved in the negotiations if it's a high-level free agent or a high-level trade where a large sum of money is being exchanged. And you have a chance to nibble, maybe add on something to the deal, maybe put the prospect in that you want to send over instead of giving up. There's a lot of different ways to to do this. And I'm sure these guys are tethered to their phones, text message. Um, you know, there's no break right now. There's no sleep. If they took any time off for Thanksgiving, that's about it. Now it's going to be these, this drive until maybe they get some time off for, you know, Christmas and New Year. And that's about it. So um, this is their chance to shine. But it doesn't mean that anybody's going to win or lose a championship this week. Certainly will enhance their probabilities. And, and think about just a year ago. A year ago, Jacob deGrom, just on this weekend, was signing with Texas. The Mets were countering by signing Justin Verlander. They were about another week away from re-signing Nimmo. They had already re-signed Edwin Diaz. They were bringing David Robertson in the fold. And oh, by the way, they are about two weeks away from the Carlos Correa drama, which was a harbinger of bad omens to come for the 2023 team. So you were feeling pretty good. And let's face it, they still kind of won the winner even after the Correa thing went south. But the Mets had a really good December. The Mets had a great December, but that was the end of it. That was the end of the 2023 Mets. So now you're going to be in a situation where Mets fans are feeling, you know, I think a little bit rattled because they have been getting what I would say is the, uh, you know, how shall I put it? The socks and underwear version of holiday gifts, whether it be Austin Adams or Cole Sulcer or Joey Wendell. Uh, you know, maybe Luis Severino is a little bit better than that. Uh, Tyler Heineman, who I think has a great opportunity to be the backup catcher because I think they're going to try to deal Omar Navarez uh, and try to shed some salary. Cooper Hummel, uh, on and on and on. You know, you got Kyle Creek, who I got a good report on from a friend of mine who's a scout. He thinks he's, uh, if he stays healthy, he's a chance to have some elite stuff. So you have these value signings. Uh, you have these signings that... Uh, you know, essentially are rounding out the roster. And the best way I can talk about it is that if you're, and I recently, about a few years back, did some work on my uh, downstairs in my house. I mean, the whole the whole damn thing was gutted. It was a pain in the rear end because you're you're basically living out of boxes and living in a mess for a while. It was a couple of months. You know, this is going back a few years. And I would come home and, you know, the contractor would be there and he would say that he was making progress. But all I saw was a bunch of, wires and sheetrock ripped up and you know internal guts of the house kind of being worked on and none of it looked livable none of it looked like progress but when it's all said and done and the wainscoting and the sconces and you know all the furniture's put in and the floors are put down and and you have a complete 
project done, you can see that some of the things they do, let's say, oh, to reinforce, uh, you know, a wall or or load bearing situations. And I'm not a contractor, so I know I probably sound stupid to some of you listening to the audience, but you get the point. Those were just as important as the design and the fun stuff and the television that you put up on the wall that you watch every night and and things like that. And, and I think a lot of what David Stearns has been doing le- leading up to the winter meetings, being that he had cleaned out the 40-man roster, is to bring in depth pieces. Not all of them are going to see the field. Some of them might only, might only see the field when there's a second game of a doubleheader or for a short period of time when there's a need because of overuse in the bullpen or an injury, a, sh- a minor injury that, that, that takes somebody out and they'll be helpful. I mean, everybody on a 40 man roster is helpful. And usually, I mean, what do you have like 50 to 60 players that usually appear in some kind of game for a team these days because of the shuttling of pitchers and whatnot throughout a season. So none of what has been done other than Severino, it should be looked at as, well, this is the Mets' focus. It's like the Wilpon era again, because it's really not. But you have to remember something here uh, and where the Mets are at. And and I've been talking a lot about Stearns and coming in and how he came in at, at the end of the season and he's learning his farm system and he's building up his front office and he's trying to figure out you know who to keep, you know which of the new lieutenants to bring in. Can he compete and win at the same time, which was the objective that he put out there? And that's not easy. And I really think he needs 12 to 36 months of progress. Not, you know, let's just leave him alone and and whatever happens, you know, three years from now, that's when the schedule will start. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that every single month, every single transition in the 2024 Mets into the 2025 season, you see progress towards a better team solidifying their ability to be a playoff team or perhaps a division winner or perhaps a World Series contender. Because right now, the focus is, and this really stinks, and I know it bothers you, and I think it's going to be a lot of what talking heads will use as part of their broken business model, which is requiring them to do clickbait to stay relevant and to drive advertising. Uh, uh, it's going to be used as fodder against you because you have the richest owner of the sport who came in with a splash, who the last couple of off seasons made big moves with Scherzer and Verlander and re-signing Diaz to the, the highest contract a closer ever had and re-signing Nimmo and all the other things. And and look, that, that angered a lot of people in the sport. He was over the luxury tax. And now he's saying, okay, you know, I'm paying Scherzer and Verlander to pitch somewhere else. I'm playing James McCann to play somewhere else. He's got Thomas Nito making a couple of million bucks who might not even be on the roster or ever see the big leagues again because they signed him to a couple of year deal. So you have all this dead money and you have a, a payroll that right now looks to be about 260 to 268 million dollars and they, that's with Severino and his 13 million dollar contract. So you you're not going to be staying under 300 million luxury tax, especially if you sign Yamamoto. Yamamoto alone is going to jack you over. Because he's probably going to get $30 million a year. It looks like that's how competitive it's gotten. So, But even if you don't do Yamamoto and you do a couple of these 8 to $10 million a year pitchers, remember with the tax being 95%, I mean, a lot of these are going to be costing double the amount, at least for a year. Um, and that's a little bit of a misnomer. I know some people have reached out to me that when you sign somebody today, let's say for a $100 million contract and the Mets are over the the luxury tax that they are going to be paying two hundred million on that contract. Well, if they're under, they're over the luxury tax for the length of the contract. Yes, they they would be. That's not the case. The Mets actually, 
if you go to Cots Contracts and, and if you're a subscriber to the newsletter, I linked it up in, in today's column. And it's uh, it's basically a Google Docs sheet which outlines between 2024 and 2028 the Mets, the Mets payroll responsibilities. And, you know, it gets a lot better next year. I mean, it goes down by... $100 million now, obviously, that'll change with Pete Alonso potentially being a free agent and uh, out of their arbitration-eligible uh, players, you know, who, you know, starts to make more serious money. Uh, you know, a lot of what the Mets are banking on is some of the young players, the Alvarez's, the Beatty's, who are not even arbitration-eligible yet, who will be making league minimum, contributing in a big way to offset some of the big spending that's out there or maybe some of the contracts that are getting less valuable like a Marte uh, is the, that's one name to put out there but you know it's this year in particular the philosophy of Stearns makes sense because yes it's the richest owner in the sport but he doesn't just want to start throwing away money when he could rely on a guy who came from an organization in Milwaukee that didn't have the budget never had a payroll that he inherited right now and yes, yeah, some of that payroll is debt. A lot of, there's a big chunk of that payroll. About $50 million of it is for two pitchers that aren't going to throw any pitches for the Mets in 2024, at least unless they trade for them. And I doubt that's going to happen. So they're paying guys. And, and those are the costs for getting Gilbert and Clifford and uh, Acuna. And, and by the way, and I'm going to give a shout out here. And I'm going to say your name because I don't think it's a big deal. So one of our our loyal listeners emailed me earlier today, and I got to find the uh, the note. Um, it was uh, Paul, loyal listener Paul, and he said how much he loves the show, and thank you for listening, Paul. And um, he wants to know why I say Akuna, and not with the, uh, the N. And I'll tell you what, Paul, you're exactly right, because from someone who grew up in Brooklyn and now has been on Long Island now for 20 years, I've got the worst of both worlds. I have a Brooklyn accent that's transformed into a Long Island accent, that's always at conflict with each other while I'm trying to actually, my mind is trying to be a radio professional, which I think a lot of you would debate whether I am or I'm not. And uh, it's all this confluence of uh, bad linguistic accents, I guess is the way to say it. And away you go. You get uh, a botched Acuna, like Adovino I botched for so long and so on and so forth. So it's Luis and Hill Acuna. I got it. There's the end. Thank you, Paul, for pointing that out. Uh, I have no idea why I did that. I think I've done it more than I, I haven't. I think I've probably botched his name more than I have not. But, you know, away you go on there. So anyway, uh, so that's where we're at. So it's a tricky spot for David Stearns. Now, a friend of mine, and he's been on the show, Joe Casal, who's, a, a, you know, in the sports business side. He's been an agent, big Yankees fan, big New York Rangers fan. Uh, does a lot of stuff for the NFL right now, uh, a New Orleans Saints fan as well. And one of the things that Joe shared with uh, friends of his about his belief regarding sports teams, I thought resonated with where the Mets are at right now, starting the winter meetings, because I think it's important for us to understand the situation they're in. The hot takes are going to be about Cohen doesn't want to spend anymore, or the Mets are trying to go the cheap route, or you know, Stearns wants to be the smartest guy in the room and find value so that he could show everybody that he doesn't need uh, X number of dollars on the payroll to be successful. All that is garbage. You know, the baseball's a, a business, and at some point, you can't fill the roster with the most expensive player at each position. Every position 
has a max value or a minimum value. So right now, if you want to get a fifth starter, you're going to have to probably pay 12 to $13 million, a competent fourth or fifth starter. I mean, that's what Severino got from the Mets. That's what Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson received from the Cardinals. And look at all these contracts. You know what that deal is. That's the base. You can't, well, you can, you can't sustain every position being the max value. The best backup catcher, like a Navarro, is getting five to seven million. Do you really need five to seven million to have a quality backup catcher? Well, Tyler Heineman was just signed off the uh, uh, off the free agent market. That's a value I would say maybe a scrap heap pickup. And uh, you know, I think the Mets are going to say probably not. You probably could get away, considering that Alvarez will probably probably play 120 to 125 games with a catch-and-throw guy for about 40 to 45 games that are going to be the start. So uh, you can't do that, and and that's where this is. So what is an acceptable first year, as we enter the winter meetings, first year where you would feel that if the Mets were adhering to these principles, and if David Stearns adhered to these principles throughout his tenure, however long that may be, that you would feel that the organization wasn't cheating you. Because I think Mets fans have felt cheated a lot over the last couple of decades. And I think that has led to winter meetings splashes that quelled some of the discontent. Maybe were even meant to shut up the fans and maybe sell some season tickets. Or more appropriately, when you had an ownership group that had a limited budget and the budget was always moving where what you had in November was not what you had in January. And if you had it, you had to spend it because you were afraid to lose it. And then all of a sudden, you thought you had X and you really had Y. So maybe if you knew you had Y, you would have made a different move in November than you possibly could have made in January and, and so on and so forth. So that's that's not necessarily where we are now. I think it's an owner that wants a sustainable winner. He wants a strong farm system that could plug in and fill needs on both sides of the ball. Like I said, for crying out loud, could they get some bullpen arms at a, a cost-effective rate? Who is there? Clay Holmes. The Dodgers always seem to find guys out of nowhere to be very valuable bullpen arms. I'm not expecting them to replace Diaz and be the closer, but can they get big outs in the seventh inning? Can they get big outs in the sixth inning? Or gasp? Can we find somebody that could get high leverage outs in the eighth inning? Just a thought. Maybe that's where they're going with some of the moves they made on bullpen arms last week. But my friend Joe believed that teams of his have the obligation to try to win every year. Don't try to save money on your roster. Now, you're probably saying, Mike, why are you saying that when you just went out and said the Mets have about $261 to $268 million worth of obligations on the roster, and here they are, they're signing Severino. They may not be in, they're not in on Juan Soto. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be in on Bellinger or any other uh Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. 
Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code staple two zero. Qualifying offer player, and that is correct. They're not because that's where the long-term and the short-term, it's the long-term view that Stearns is taking. I don't think the Mets are trying to save money on their roster. They're trying to look at parts of their roster and say, do we have to shop in the luxury aisle at every aspect of our team? Can a Kyle Creek, if he's healthy, give you a lot at what you were paying Adam Adovino for last year? It's a lot more of a risk. And I know that signing veterans that have a track record, we've said this all the time, eliminates some of that variability that makes it frustrating as you go into the spring and early parts of the season as you get to know the team. But this is where they're at right now because... You know, they can't have a $600 million payroll every year, especially for a team that I don't know if they would necessarily win more games or be in a better playoff position, even if they did. You would feel better about that uh, in the winter, but I don't think it would change. So I don't think the Mets are not trying to win every year. They're not rebuilding. They've they've said it. They're trying to retool and and go from mercenary to try to win it all in a mercenary fashion with small growth on the farm system to bigger growth on the farm system and and competitiveness where they can get into what has become a tournament league. You know that. We've talked about that. And the second thing Joe talked about was how if you can't win, be competitive and entertaining. Now, I don't know if that's where the Mets want to land, and I certainly don't want the Mets to land there. But Joe has said, you know, can you make your team destination viewing? And I think that that's important because whatever happens with the 2024 Mets, whether they win 81 games, 75 games, 90 games, make the playoffs, fall short, fall, wide, fall far out of the playoffs, you want it where they're being talked about. One of the worst things that has happened to any big league club is that, and it's happened to the Mets in 2017, it happened to the Mets in 2018, it happened to the Mets to a certain degree, certainly after August 1st and maybe before they tore the team apart, that when the team shows that it's going nowhere, the fans check out and do something else. If it's the summer, they're going on to summer activities that are non-baseball related. If it's the beginning of NFL training camps, maybe they switch their attention to the NFL. Or what other sports are out there that they're interested in. You want your fans engaged from beginning to end, whether they win the World Series or you know maybe finish as a second division club. You don't want this to be this non-competitive process tanking situation. And I don't think the Mets are going to be doing that. The third thing he talked about, and this is where a lot of the smart GMs don't necessarily adhere to this practice, realize when something isn't working and make a change. Don't let problems fester. And I agree with that. Um, You know, a lot of times you build a team where you have principles and philosophies about building a team. And I think you see with David Stearns with the kind of component scrap heap Uh, fringy players he's bringing in. He has a philosophy on the type of pitchers, the type of of hitters, 
looks like he's looking for guys that are analytic darlings, maybe guys who are certainly defensive-minded on the offensive side, who can hit with some power, get on base with the pitchers. It looks like they all have an elite pitch. Maybe they have some command and control or injury issues, but they also have something that could potentially allow them to be very serviceable if it all comes together. Whatever the philosophy is on players, and right now, run prevention is the overarching philosophy from David Stearns. If it doesn't work and the market is dictating something else or you feel like in order to be competitive, you could do something else, do it. Don't be so rigid to the process and to an ideology. It's sports. It's not an ideology. You're not running for office here or trying to change the world. And I added a fourth one, and not Joe did this. I think it's understanding where you are in the championship cycle, when you could put your chips at the center of the table and go for it when you don't. And Zach Scott talked a little bit about this during his podcast when he was addressing the Javi Baez trade when he gave up Pete Crow Armstrong and says a lot of times we focus on what we gave up as an as a organization instead of what you got. And you got Javi Baez, who gave them a really good chance at that time when they were in first place of shoring up the offense, winning the division, and getting into the tournament. Yes, it didn't work out. At that point, Pete Crow Armstrong had potential but was hurt and wasn't anywhere near a top prospect. The pandemic lost minor league season played a lot into not having a farm system that was acceptable uh, to help this team in 2022 and 2023. I mean, a lot of people forget how damaging that lost season was for player development and especially for organizations like the Mets that weren't at the top of the heap when it came to the minor league system. So I think if the Mets stick to those type of edicts, and I think it starts here with the winter meetings, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to make for a sexy news cycle right now. I don't think that talk radio heads will be kind to the Mets. I don't think that the beat will be kind to the Mets. I don't think that national writers or ESPN will be kind to the Mets. I think they're going to look at a lot of what Stearns does, the Luis Severino type lottery ticket moves, and say, though this is the Mets being the same old Mets. uh, Cohen has been burnt by big spending. And he doesn't want to lose any more money. So, you know, he's retreating. And there is a certain component of truth. Cohen doesn't want to just lose money and throw bad money after more bad money. Uh, but I think ultimately, we've talked about it. The only way to build a sustainable roster is to have some sort of low-cost minor league options. Every good player makes $25 million a year now. Every good pitcher makes twenty to $25 million a year now. Even back in the rotation, starters make ten to twelve million dollars good closers are going to make 12 to 15 million dollars a year if you're going to have players like that at all your positions and look Pete Alonso is probably going to make 30 million dollars a year maybe a shade less but he's heading towards that and 300 million is the luxury tax because let's face it that whole luxury tax threshold is bent to suppress spending it's not like the NBA where they come out with a salary cap based on revenues and it changes every year up or down depending on league revenues no the baseball kind of sets it in the collective bargaining agreement. Maybe it is based on revenues, but I have a feeling that real revenues, because they don't want to open up their books, the the owners, you, you don't quite know. Well, if that's the number, then you know, you're know you going to have to have some low-cost players that outproduce their contract in terms of production and value. Well, you're going to be, everybody, including the Dodgers and the Yankees, are going to be paying double the price on their payroll. And look, I know these are wealthy guys, and oh, well, Cohen could lose the money. He's worth X. He could lose $200 million every year. Well, he said publicly he's okay with it now, but not forever. 
And I'm sure when Stearns came in, part of that conversation was, how can you get me a better return on my investment? He's a business guy. He knows that the sports team is going to help him build his paradise around the ballpark with the casino and all the other stuff we talked about, the Metropolitan Park Project, which probably will take a decade. Maybe not quite as long, but I don't be surprised you're 10 years away from that. And that's assuming nothing crazy politically or the city doesn't get hit with something else because it's been hit with a lot the last five years and there's no guarantee economically. Now, think about City Field was supposed to be built much sooner, but then 9-11 happened. So you never know. But he knows the team is the jewel of this whole thing. He knows the team is why people would even think about going to a garbage dump right now and spending even three hours of their life one time a year to watch a ball game. So he understands that, but you can't lose money and you don't have to lose the kind of money he lost to field a competitive team that gets into the playoffs in the mid-80s winning. You don't, it doesn't take a lot to win the mid-80s in this league. You have to be smart. You have a good core of offensive players. You have an elite closer. You have a couple of interesting pitchers, you know, and away you go. Now, as we round out this State of the Union when it comes to the winter meetings, what do I expect to see this week? Well, I don't think Yamamoto will sign this week. I think you'll get more information about maybe where he's leaning. What will be very interesting is, and this will be the biggest challenge for Stearns this week, they have been locked down on rumors. I mean, nothing other than the Severino situation has come out. I don't know if that could be sustained in Nashville, in uh, the hotel. With all the people, the agents, the bar talk, the drinking, you know, the gossip. I mean, the league loves gossip. The league loves the, the gossip vine. They love it. You love it. I love it. That's why we have shows like this. So if he can lock it down, I mean, people are going to see him meeting with someone. They're going to see him. I mean, what is he going to be off site? What are they going to build like a bunker, an underground bunker? Now, with the Japanese players, I think culturally, uh, you know, Otani has reportedly made sure nobody leaks. I don't think they like to have their agents uh, play the rumor game. I think it's very dangerous as an organization that if you go out and start spreading gossip about the Japanese players, that I think that's going to hurt you in their negotiation. What I think, and I know they've Zoomed with Yamamoto. I don't know how he felt about the Zoom meeting. But I think there will be some progress. And I think at the end of the day, I don't believe money will be the object with Yamamoto. I think the Mets will be at the top or the best. It will be, are they buying into what they're doing? Does he want the legacy of the pinstripes? Does he want the recent historical sustainable success of the Dodgers? Does, you know, what does he want? Does he like the, the life and the culture of the West Coast? Is he open to the East Coast? The weather, the food, you know, how are they, each of these organizations, integrating Japanese players into the mix? Is Singa an asset? Can he help in this whole process? We don't know. At the end, if the Mets lose out to Yamamoto, I don't think it's because of money or because of effort. It's because he wanted to go play somewhere else. And I think that'll be where they get burnt. And I think that's where this gets tricky because Yamamoto may not sign this week. And if that's the fish they want to land, and then depending on what Yamamoto does, they pivot and do the rest of their rotation a certain way. Meaning, are they already budgeting Montgomery or an Eduardo Rodriguez and Yamamoto? Are they able to do that? 
Or are they saying, if I get Yamamoto, I go more to those other two guys and then go to more one-year deal guys or scrappy pickups. You know, maybe they go and they look at a Frankie Montas or a Seth Lugo or an Eric Lauer or a Wade Miley. You know, I think they're going to look at those guys anyway, but do you do an extra one of those short-term, you know, $10, $12 million deals because you lose out on Yamamoto? While they're chasing Yamamoto, do they lose out on Montgomery and or Rodriguez? We don't know. Because it's been so locked down, we just don't know. So that's kind of where I think the tricky part of the meetings and this offseason comes because you're putting a lot of your big game hunting free agent dollars on one guy. They're not out there on Juan Soto. They're not out there on a lot of these other free agents. They're looking in the B bin. The B plus bin in some cases, but the B bin. On the offensive side, look, I wrote about this on um, on the Beyond the Mic you're probably looking at them and and I would like them to maybe go out and, and make a push for Justin Turner. I had said two years and 24 million Jim Bowden over the athletic thinks 12 million a year is, is, is pretty much where uh, he'll be in. He predicted the Mets signing Yamamoto. As a matter of fact, um, I don't think they'll be in on a Reese Hoskins or a Jorge Soler or a JD Martinez. Uh, I don't think they want to, lock up that DH spot. I think they want guys, and I think that's where you might see a Michael Taylor or a Harrison Bader. Uh, you know, there's also uh, this this kid from Korea, uh, Jung Ho Lee, who I, I think that Bowden said he thinks he's going to get a four-year, $60 million contract. And I look at how he profiles coming off an ankle injury. He's a, a decent defensive outfielder, lefty, a good uh, plate discipline. You know, he's a, it looks like he's a walks-to-strikeout rate machine. You know, can hit the ball for average with no power. I don't mind having a guy like that as a component starter slash hedge your bet. Um, but I don't know if I'd give him a four-year deal of that magnitude. But it goes to show you, every good player makes 15 to 20 to $25 million a year. Like, that's the range. If you're good, you're going to get paid. And the biggest thing with the Mets, and that's where even a Michael Taylor is like a, a backup, a component player, uh, they don't hit lefties well. They were 18 and 35 versus lefties last year. And that's... One of many reasons why they didn't make the playoffs. So they have to look at their roster and some of their big hitters, like a McNeil is lefty. Um, you know, sometimes Lindor doesn't hit as well right-handed as he does left-handed. Nimmo. Um, they don't really have, and, and with Marte being out, I think it exacerbated it. Uh, and Alonzo didn't hit well against lefties, and that was probably another big thing because that, that you wouldn't have expected. You need to go out and address the fact that they didn't hit lefties well. And how can they make that better? So uh, I, I don't know how much splash they'll make this week. And I think it's going to bother you because, again, I go back I, I go back to the broken business model of media, which includes things like educated speculation, hot takes and demands on how to run the team for the moment from people who've never run any businesses. And then there's the sourced rumors and the agenda behind it and who's the source and, and why are they putting this out there. And, you know, we just don't know. We just don't know. I think Stern so far this offseason has similar to, and we, we laughed about it and we joked about it, how he came in, he had a pretty nice house that he bought, and he said, you know, I just don't like the kitchen. And he starts ripping stuff out, and you're like, whoa, that's brand new. It's only a couple of years old. No, I got something better. And right now, he's doing a lot of the back-end work on the electrical outlets and the foundation, and you're like, what is he doing? He's not. There's nothing changing. It's actually worse. It looked better where it was. Give it time. Let the final product show. And when we go to spring training, and I've said this, and it continues to bear itself to be true. This is a off-season into spring training, into a 2024 season where 
there are a lot of questions and we're not going to have the answers and we're not going to have the faintest idea where things are going to go because they could go left, they could go right, they could go center, they could go up, they could go down. And we have to sit back and watch how things develop. And then as they develop, we can learn about, well, this is why it worked out because this is what they were looking for. And right now we're speculating. We don't know. And there is no flurry of free agent moves that would be responsible that would allow them to give their prospects, like Gilbert, like Acuna, like their young pitchers that may be close to the majors, allow them to be part of the mix in 2024 and not be blocked because you can't every year say, okay, this veteran didn't work out. Let's swallow half the salary and trade him away and we'll move on because that gets expensive. I don't think Cohen wants to see the dead money that he sees on the roster right now. You talk about Cano being off. That wasn't Cohen's problem. That was the prior ownership. Well, Cano's gone. Now you have more than Cano dead money on the roster. Like I said, go to Cots Contracts. See how, you know, take a look at it. It's there for you. The information's all out there for you. I don't make this stuff up. I don't have to research it. It's just there. So, so that's what I have for you. Buckle up. It's about 4.30 now here on a Sunday. The height of the second uh, round of football games, the 4 o'clock games here. The meetings probably won't really get going for another, I would say, day. Fortunately, it's not a different time zone. It's not like it's the West Coast because then we're in for long nights. But it is fun because during the winter meetings, there is those, um, you know, those in middle of the night moves that all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, wow, look what happened while I was asleep. That's kind of fun, too. Uh, kind of like what happened with Carlos Correa in the middle of the night a year ago. And we, you know, I keep saying that name and I keep saying we got to lose it. And we're starting to lose it more and more. But it's just still relevant in terms of the conversation uh, that we're having right now. So anyway, uh, so like I said, tune in. There will be podcasts. There will be additional shows. There will be tons of instant reaction and analysis at Beyond the Mic. Some of it for paid subscribers. Some of free. If you're listening, if you've made it this far and you're listening, I still have some coupons that I want to give out. Email me, MikeSilvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, for a um, free coupon. I know the, I think there's a seven-day trial if you sign up for free and check it out. And then, um, you know, the coupons are for a little bit more. They're very limited. I don't control them, but they're very limited. And uh, check it out. So I'll have uh, three left. So if you're one of the lucky three that gets to me after you listen to this, I'll hit you up. I'll get you the free trial. And hopefully you like it and you stay on $5 a month, $49.99 for a full year sign up. I think it's worth it. It's a great compliment to this show. It allows us to extend the conversation more than just once a week or when I pop on. It allows us to continuously be conversing, even about things like Joey Wendell. Because I'm not going to stop and have an emergency podcast over Joey Wendell. But it's something where it gives you some context. I talked about Joey Wendell and what it makes for Bet Beatty. We talked about the history of the winter meetings. We talked about offensive options over at Beyond the Mic a lot. A lot of stuff that I think is intelligent, is thought-provoking, is worth it for basically one less cup of coffee a month. That's it. $5. I mean, like I said, I go to Dunkin' Donuts. It's $4 for a cup of coffee now. Dunkin' Donuts! And you get a hell of a lot more than just one cup of coffee with Talking Mets Beyond the Mic. So that's it. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We're prepping for the winter meetings, a little State of the Union. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silver Media. And you can turn up a podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. 
Mike Salat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And of course, check out the newsletter, Substack.com slash at TalkingMetsNoG. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Buckle up. It's the winter meetings. We'll be back. Oh, sit tight soon. Till then, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.